thanks for joining me on the fourth series of my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience that ultimately impact on engagement, performance and loyalty. Whether that's about leadership style, psychological safety, mental well-being, companies' impact on society, neurodiversity and so much more, there is something for everyone. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. Working with companies who want to be great with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture and a wow workforce, that's my thing. And that's what this podcast is all about. You know those challenges and questions that can occupy your headspace, perhaps working out how to support people or how to develop a better way of working or how to increase capacity while keeping people on your side. Well, I'm your soundboard, problem and picker, and guide to doing things that ultimately increase employee happiness. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. I am really pleased to be joined by Carla Marisas today. This has been a long time coming. You and I've had a lot of conversations around um, how we support other people um, and actually how we look after ourselves. Um, these chats have actually ended up covering quite a lot about how we how we are feeling mm. ourselves, um, sometimes utterly exhausted, and yet, despite being utterly exhausted, continuing to multitask because it's that sense of we don't really have any choice. Um, we recognise the that need to keep pushing through and that being a reality for so many people, which leaves them feeling as if they're trapped in a situation that they can't really um, escape from. So thank you for joining me today, Carla, and actually allowing us to have this conversation where we are recording so that we can help other people make sense of it a little bit and think, okay, what can we do differently to create a bit more space and look after ourselves and each other a little bit more? So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. So you are a <laughs> values and purpose life coach and NLP practitioner. Hmm. So tell us, a bit more about how you got into that line of work specifically um, and any sort of particular areas that you that you focus on or you're more passionate about? Mm. Um, I mean, I've been practicing as an NLP practitioner and life coach for three years now, um, <clears throat> but it feels like actually I've been doing that forever um, mm. when I, I can pull out the strands really easily. So a sort of 25-year career in film and TV and music and most latterly as a um, board member. Um, and important probably to say at that point, the only female board member <clears throat> um, in, in, in that industry. Um, and so in all of those roles, I was a natural leader. Um, and before that was a sales director. So my role is, my my roles have always been very client facing and dealing with human beings, which sounds really silly, but within a sales environment, within leading teams, within mentoring. And that's why I say there's always been a side of me that's been a coach um, because I was a young MD and I think a lot of that success came with, yes, bit hard work and yes, enjoying my job at that point. But it also came with um, interacting with human beings. Um, <clears throat> my clients, a lot of my old clients are now friends, a lot of my old team members are now friends still. Um, and... I got to a point after I'd had my second child, um, my second boy, um, that the wheel started to fall off a little bit. Um, 
I was loving what I was doing. I always had loved what I was doing, but I'd sort of ridden the waves of working hard and having a great career and having success. And then when I had to start making those really real decisions for me um, of, am I at home? Am I with the boys? Am I leading a team and not really being able to be in two places at the same time? And for a while that was, <clears throat> I did have the ability to do that. I had great childcare, which was my sister, um, had flexible hours, but it was very much a change in the leadership where I was working. That was a real values conflict for me. Mm-hmm. And that juggle just became a real choice of values. It was a very values choice for me. Um, <clears throat> so I moved into consulting for a little bit to give me some space. I resigned as MD, it was a bizarrely easy decision considering it was my sort of pinnacle of my career Mm -hmm. um and I consulted and in that consultancy period that was really about working to my values so I was able to use my skill sets but to be able to put the family first and and that gave me space it gave me some time um probably not as much as I wanted um but it was then that I decided to retrain as a coach um and I wanted to make sure I retrained, I trained with a very high standard of coaching. Um, integrity is really important to me. And I came to that decision because there were so many elements of my career that I loved. I've talked about the mentoring and the leadership and the team building. And I didn't want that entire career to be a waste. I wanted to really pull out strands of that. Um, so yeah, I trained to be a life coach. Um, I do a lot of business coaching and then laid on top of that, the NLP practitioner work. So I did my diploma first and then my practitioner some time after that. Well, I, and I love when people come to coaching through such a meaningful journey where actually you're, you're almost using, you're using coaching skills, you're using coaching conversations in your day-to-day work because it's just your, it's your strength and it aligns with your values and I love what you said about that decision to leave a role when you're at your pinnacle of your career and, um, you know, you're seen to be very successful in that. Actually, how easy that was to make mm. when you're making that because it aligns with your values. Mm. And that's actually just being true. It's that great level of self-awareness and staying true to who you are and what essentially makes you happy. Yeah. Um, is that real, real insight, which we're going to cover a bit today. Mm. Mm. So, um, so really good to hear that. Um, so let's start by unpicking the feeling of overwhelm that can produce that real desire of wanting to be in a bubble and just mm. hide from the world, which of course isn't possible. Yeah, it's that feeling of, um, I've, I've said to so many people have said to me, and this resonates with me with work. And now I don't like to clear my emails because that means I get a load more back. And it's that feeling when you look and you realize you can't get on top of your you know email box Mm. or there's another request and it's I think it's a reaction it's that reaction that we have and it's a chain of events of the reaction is a trigger then we think we don't have a choice and everything has to be responded to and of course if we responded to every thought and every email and every request that came into our life on a daily basis we we couldn't cope Mm. but that's what we're trying to do which is Mm. where that overwhelm is coming from that overwhelm of I can't even process the thoughts in my head the emails um and I think it's 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 almost like a new pandemic 
so many people those strands overwhelm is something I see in so many of my clients um working parents and leaders um but also those who are climbing the ladder as well and are not where they want to be but ambitious and that need to do it all and do it now and go to go to bed at the end of the day with everything being done and yet I haven't met someone yet that does tick everything off the list so it's that vicious cycle mm. and, it, and it's and as you say it's it's people wanting something from us and us feeling that we should um you know we want to please people we want to get things right for the people and mm. for ourselves crossing off that list and I think in the in society that we're in today where everything is so achievable it's mm. like you, know, you can buy pretty much anything any hour of the day you can access anything you can you know there's just no end there's no sort of boundaries anymore um there was a really interesting um statistic I was looking at from mental health foundation YouGov recently that said that only 30 percent of older people reported never feeling overwhelmed due to stress and that's bad enough but you compare that to just seven percent of young adults and that sense of it's almost normalized now that we are going to feel overwhelmed we are going Mm. to feel stressed that's just the world we live in Mm. that's quite a dangerous place to be isn't it just that level of acceptance and we just got to get it is and I think two things come to mind in that sense of um I always ask what the opposite is I ask my clients if they're feeling overwhelmed what's the opposite what what do they want to feel instead of Mm -hmm. the overwhelmed that answer doesn't come as easily as you would think um and of course it's peace or relaxation or calm but then that feels like something they have to create and create for themselves the overwhelm comes for free the overwhelm is is something or at least that's the perception and mm-hmm. it's trying to introduce back again that choice of of course no one chooses to be overwhelmed but we do have a choice in our daily actions and in in being intentional and creating that calm Mm -hmm. um and I think one of the things that goes against that and makes it difficult is we all wear so many different hats and so you may be you know at at school pickup as you said Lisa with your phone pinging because you're you know everything is so instant or you may be a leader on holiday thinking shall I quickly check my emails? Shall I check my emails? Is the out of office really on? Um, and so those roles, and I think you talked about boundaries, I think the different roles we have are, are blurred um, and that in itself creates more overwhelm um, and not being able to sort of have those lines drawn. Yeah, and I think what you were saying about, um, you know, problem solving is harder it's much you know actually to have to say right this doesn't feel right and do something about it mm. we know that using a cognitive part of our brain uses more energy is slower than just mm. our feeling our limbic part and so our emotional responses to stuff just that feeling of overwhelm um f- being feeling overwhelmed just happens naturally yeah so of course that is you that's a given to yeah. actually say, right, I, I, I'm going to exercise my choice and I'm going to do something about it. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to make that happen? And then often they might be small things, but it might be something that needs a bit more thought or 
um, you know, connection with other people or whatever it is. Mm. It takes more effort for our yeah. brains to compute that. So, of course, if you're feeling overwhelmed already, <laughs> the idea of actually having to put more time and effort in, mm. changing the situation, for a lot of people, that just doesn't even happen. Yeah. And we've talked about before, haven't we, about keeping it simple. Mm. And that's where the need to keep it simple comes in. Because if I sit with an overwhelmed person and then say, OK, we've got this big 12 page plan, then they're going to run a mile. And we've all done that. I, I, I did that when I was an overwhelmed MD. In those tiny moments of clarity, I'd buy the book or download the course or save the article um, in that moment. I very rarely found time to go back and read the book and open the email. And and I had this email folder, which was, um, you know, all the things I was going to do or all the mm. escape routes, or all the moments have come. And I never got to them because mm. you're right, it takes the effort. And because overwhelm can feel, and, and I use the word feel deliberately, can feel so big that actually... It's almost, um, it's that David and Goliath thing. It's almost really trusting that it's a simple act that will make it different. Because if you make it and you try and fight the overwhelm with something so big, there feels that conflict. And all it takes is the 10th time um, you might, you know, you do the habit and on the 11th time you don't do it and then you feel down again. And then it's, I'm overwhelmed again because I didn't, I didn't break the habit. So Mm. it's really keeping it simple. Really, that, really that breaking the habit thing is so <laughs> true. I, I was speaking to someone early this week about um, they'd had 10, 10 days of doing something brilliantly that they were trying to change, and then day 11, it, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't happen, and it's that sense of failure, and yeah. and again, that complete overwhelm, and almost being paralyzed by that level of emotional arousal. And I was explaining to her that. You know, 10 days that's a massive achievement and it's like it's unpicking what you learned from that mm. and normalize expecting there to be some sense some blips along the way yeah and it's actually when we go oh, okay today's just one of those days that hasn't gone according to plan but tomorrow I can yeah. get back on it and I can apply what I know from my journey so far to make sure that tomorrow is going to be a better fit for me so yeah. it, but it, but it's so common isn't it mm. yeah it's like that one biscuit I'll eat the whole packet yeah. um yeah. But it's that whole, and it's one of my favorite NLP presuppositions of there's no failure, only feedback. Um, mm-hmm. So you can get to take day, uh, day 10. Mm-hmm. And like you've just said, if you can get the learning from that and actually say, well, what was the trigger point? What made it difficult? Did I feel comfortable? Had I expanded my comfort zone? Or had I just had enough of the effort? Or what was the mm-hmm. trigger point? And if you can learn from that, then those 10 days are worth it aren't they and we don't have to fall off on day 11 um but yeah it's just that really advocating not only keeping it simple but self-care and the way we self-care doesn't always have to be about what we're doing as acts it's how we speak to ourselves it's that the affirmations in our head the thoughts and the you know being your own cheerleader really that that can be the simplest thing yeah I like that so there's you know when we think about people in work there's that um it's always interesting isn't it hearing different people's perceptions of who's most overwhelmed is it the kind of people Mm. running around almost at the bottom of the hierarchy trying to do everything and be everything or is it the leaders who are trying to find their way let let's 
start with um, leaders, actually, because one of the things, mm. whether we're talking about leaders um, at the sort of top level, whether we're talking about managers, that sort of that expectation that they can often feel uh, that they should have all the answers, that they should yeah. be able to put on this kind of confident front, which says I'm in control and I know how things are panning out and I have real confidence in in what we're doing and how we're getting there and um and actually the pressure they have coming from above onto their shoulders and then obviously they're trying to do everything um for their teams do are you seeing enough of a shift yet away from that notion that those people are expected to uh have everything control um or are you and and to be able to just nurture everyone else? Or are you seeing that that people are beginning to look after themselves a bit more, and people are begin begin to realise that maybe this tier of people don't have all the answers and don't have yeah. this kind of mask of um, just resilience, which means that they don't ever get overwhelmed. Mm. I think I'm seeing a lot more of the process starting, but I'm not sure I'm seeing enough of it stick in and that longevity of, so that <clears throat> there's a lot more talk about um, what's happening and what the solutions might be, but it's a bit like we just said with that habit, it's sticking with it and mm. it's, okay, we're going to do something differently. Sales figures are down. Oh, no, 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 go back to how we used to do it and panic. Um, and it's it's really sticking with, leaders been able to show their vulnerability because mm. it's not almost about just having all of the answers and I think going back to my own journey when I was a young MD um having to trust my teams and say you head that department I have trust in you and having showing that vulnerability of this is a two-way street we, we need to sort of have each other's backs mm. I don't have all the answers but also you're the expert and I think I'm not I don't think that I'm seeing enough of the of the solution stick. So I think when it gets tricky or when overwhelm takes over again, it's that ability, it's fight or flight, and it's that ability to say, no, actually, we are making a change. We're doing something differently. We are building trust. We're showing vulnerability. And that might take time to change. It's, a, mm-hmm. again, it's like those habits. Um so I do think that that is a worrying trend that leaders are still carrying that huge burden of doing it all, knowing it all, having all the answers. Mm. Um, and particularly, as you say, if they're managing up, if they're leading teams, um, it's showing that vulnerability to their teams um, because leaders want respect at the same time as well. And it's a real complexity of emotions of how you can you can show up as a human as a leader and yeah and I think it reminds me of um a conversation I was having recently I was on a um get radio talking about resilience and and we I was asked to talk about how to make business leaders business owners more resilient and my answer was vulnerability mm. it's, it's that sort of it's it's about saying you don't you can't cope with everything you do have your limits yeah and this is how you protect yourself and being really clear about what your goes back to what you're saying at the start about what your values are mm. and making sure that you're clear about how you want to show up at work and how you want to feel at work what you want to be and it's those really obvious questions isn't it I think we often forget to ask ourselves 
you know when when you have a role whatever that might be what do you want that to feel like how do you want that to um add value to you know align with your values and add value to who you are and how you experience life Mm. um you know what how do you want it to fit into your hours or how you how much you physically connect with people how much you work on your own and Mm. you know all those aspects that often we just we we go into a role and we just do what's asked of us without thinking consciously and intentionally about how we shape that to meet our needs so so that we feel good about how we are as we show up and you know it goes back to being authentic doesn't it Mm. when I think it's also a great for me a great coaching answer when I'm with my clients is when a client will say I don't know Mm. because I don't know you know if I ask why what can you do differently why you're not and that I don't know is the biggest defense coming up when someone says I don't know um and it's that I it's in the world of I can't I don't have enough time you know those excuses because it is a it's needle in that sort of okay what are you going to do differently how are you going to change this are you going to continue being vulnerable um and I think in those moments when a client is feeling vulnerable and they're feeling defensive, I often ask the question, well, what happens if nothing changes? What happens if you stay in that overwhelm? Where are you heading? And that can produce some real emotional response. And it's not to make anyone feel upset, but it is, it's future pacing. What happens if you stay in that overwhelm for mm-hmm. you, for your team? Um, if you are a leader for your results mm. the productivity we can't stay in that overwhelm um, mm. and, and you know that's that's a really interesting that often produces change um, yeah I do something very similar with um, almost about getting someone to imagine they're at T-junction and they're looking left and that at the far end of the the road that they're looking down they can see themselves in the future as if they're just mm. carrying on this, this path that they're on now they look at the right as, as they might be or they would want to be or how they could be if they weren't experiencing this overwhelm when you do mm. that as an individual or as a team mm. you have such stark contrast yeah it's like right well let's start working back from that so rather than you can know you're starting where I am now and working out where my next step forward is is it about starting with the end point thinking this is what life could feel like mm. which aligns much more with my values and you know, work back from that what's what's the kind of step towards me that I need to 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 take in order to be able to narrow that gap yeah and it's I mean and it's, it's a similar there's a flip question to that as well of I, I don't always I, I believe in a sort of um next best step approach keeping things mm-hmm. simple mm-hmm. and and the next step and the next step but often if clients are bringing up goals and on what goals they're doing it's sometimes asking well are your goals the same today as they were a year ago, five years ago? And again, it's getting the client to see themselves and the leader as a human being of actually, oh, no, I was in a different place then and this is what I wanted and this is where I'm at now and almost connecting with themselves with empathy um, because overwhelm doesn't really allow ourselves uh, allow us to be kind to ourselves or others actually. You've mentioned goals. Let's discuss goals. <laughs> As a coach, I was not one of my favourite subjects, yeah. <laughs> which is really surprising. Yeah, people people say it's a coach. Goals are something you and I have talked about mm. quite a lot, Carla. And um, 
when I was talking recently uh, with another coach, Dave Greenaway, um, he uh, is tongue in cheek, but he has a real thing about um, goals. He's like, we don't need these goals. Mm. Um, let's. What What are your thoughts really about goals in terms of how they fit in with sort of coaching conversations and helping people move forward? I very rarely ask someone what their goals are. Um, and that comes for, re- for very, very many reasons. Um, it comes from a fact of, um, I've had a successful career. I'm not sure I've ever had a goal to be, I didn't want to be an MD or a, it wasn't something so linear. And I don't know many people's lives that are so linear. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I've had some experience of bad business coaching. Um, and two examples, I remember once, um, I shared with you that I used to, whenever I had a, a coach that I would ask my PA to call, which now I can't believe I did, but I was very overwhelmed. To get you out of the coaching session. Yeah, yeah, to call just to see if, you know, if I needed an out. It's a terrible thing to admit, but um, yeah, uh, that whole, I remember someone sitting down in front of me and just saying, okay, so what's the goal? And that was it. That was how the coaching session started. And I, I visibly sort of, I don't know. I don't know. And then when you're in that panic mode and I was already overwhelmed, I already didn't have time to be in that room. I perceived I didn't have time to be in that room. Mm. Um, And without creating rapport and knowing more about that person, and I actually thought that was a one-off experience. I coached someone last year who had come to me and said, I've just finished three months of coaching with a business coach. And I said, okay, how did that go? They had made up a goal and worked on it for three months because the coach it wasn't the same coach I'd said to them in the first session what's the goal and she was so overwhelmed her self-care was so poor her life work balance was so bad and she just panicked and thought I'm a failure I'm not doing very well I'm going to make a goal up and she made a goal up and worked on it for three months um so those are two sort of very you know tongue-in-cheek isolated but I think it's more about the next best step because without sounding too corny life is a journey and we can get derailed we can feel overwhelmed we can be ill we can have children it's it's life and we're living it um and I think it's about being in that moment of particularly in the context we're talking about overwhelmed leaders what's the next best step Rather than let's look two years and say what the big goal is or six months, it's actually about how are you feeling right now and what do we need to do about it? And each step leads to the next one. And that lovely coaching question of and what else and what else? You know, what can you do about that and what else? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's continuously taking that. And that in itself, I like to call them mini goals, the little mini high five moments of, mm-hmm. I got through today and my self-care was so much better. I led my team with compassion. Um, I lived a values-driven life. They are goals in themselves. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the big overwhelming goal. Um, And in regards to leaders, um, I don't know if goals produce productivity. Um, When I was an MD, we would be forecast our figures. We would relook at the figures. We would have a a change in a big client. You can't control some of that. So it's almost 
yeah, the next steps, the reforecasting of running a business. I think it's interesting you mentioned um, compassion as well, because I know when I'm talking with people who are very good leaders, mm. they might be good at noticing another person's suffering, um, whatever that suffering looks like, and providing an appropriate emotional response to show that empathy, um, and then ideally doing something to try and alleviate that stress for someone else and that's what people would often describe as they want from their manager their leader mm. but but often and actually some people spend more time in one of those than another so some people are really good at noticing but not necessarily doing anything about it or some people are very good at trying to take some action without showing the empathy first and it's kind of being aware of your strengths but what often I find missing in that is the self-check bit mm. so it's that um you know when people are trying to you know, they think about their mini goals or think about moving forward. And it's like, well, what's important to me? What are my values? Well, to be authentic. Um, you know, I'm this person who's very caring and I want to be seen to be and I want to experience a day to day where I can show I'm looking after other people and so on. But it's actually asking people to pause and say, do you have the capacity? You know, is that right now and what how you feel today might differ from how you feel tomorrow? Mm. But do you have the ability right now to do that thing for someone else? Or do you just have to say, you know what, right now I can't help you. So come yeah. back and see me tomorrow. Uh, or if it's really urgent, you know, why don't you go and have a chat to this person over here? So you're not kind of just leaving someone in the lurch. But that self-check bit, I think, is often missing for people when they are trying so hard to be everything that's important to them um, and to keep moving forward and keep seeing it's not just about being seen to be the right person for everyone else it's actually I want to be someone who helps yeah how do I put the brakes on that yeah and that well it's that self-care that. that's what that mm. self-care so mm. um uh, I I run a program it's a really short program self-care for leaders um self-care for success because you can't it's like the whole you can't pour from an empty cup and you can't give um empathy if you're not being empathetic to yourself mm. you can't be kind to your staff if you're not being kind to yourself mm. and that's when you ask me am I seeing enough to change I guess that's part of the process because it's having trust isn't it it's it's your staff trusting you as well as you trust in them and if you have built that relationship on the vulnerability and it's consistent which is what I was re referencing earlier we're not seeing that consistency that when you are in that moment, you can say, not today. And they trust you enough as a leader and you trust your, your team enough to say, I can have that vulnerability to say, not today. I've, I've got to do a task first. I've got to put my self-care first. But we are in relationship with each other. We're in a trusting relationship. And actually, tomorrow will be fine. Tomorrow might not be fine. Something else might come mm -hmm. up um but that's that references back that you know living a life that is about the next best step having that trust and you brought up the word boundaries um and <clears throat> boundaries can come up with for me they can be really linked in self-care because and, and some and our comfort zone because we can just keep pushing the edges of our boundaries or our comfort zone and we can reframe that as much as we like to suit the situation. So we can be fooling ourselves a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And often I like to talk to clients rather than boundaries, but what's your limit? What's the limit that you won't cross? 
um <clears throat> what's the thing I can't make you do what's the you know and for some people that might be I will never work on a Sunday um mm. I will never work on a Thursday past seven o'clock because I go to my football training but it's the limitations and so I think it uh, they all start to blow into one and that's what I mean about doing things differently bringing in the trust the vulnerability the relationship um and building all of that so you can have limits you can have boundaries you can have not today conversations but that trust takes time Mm. but I think it's something and I'm always banging on about this everyone who knows me will know (laughs) um but it takes time but it's such an important part of someone's role and for me it's the most important part because if you can get that role right in terms of um leading managing supporting other people then everything else follows on the back of that there's a, a really interesting study amongst healthcare professionals that's published by the queen mary university of london last month which reveals how changes in um well-being support and leadership training can improve mental health and reduce burnout mm. um, in healthcare professionals and I was just going to quote um, actually from the study because I think it's really quite interesting. So it's a longitudinal study um, which found that um, feeling unsupported at work was associated with an increased risk of depression, anxiety, insomnia, burnout, and mental well-being. Poor mental well-being. Um, professionals who felt supported experienced between a fifty-five and sixty-five percent reduction in emotional exhaustion compared to those who are non-supported. And many of the study participants um, desired managers who listened and who made them feel understood. Um, and additionally, qualities such as being visible and approachable in leadership and um, camaraderie and solidarity amongst their peers and so on. And, and, and the reason I love that is because it's not talking about their leaders being experts in mental health and depression and so on. It's not about people trying to problem solve. It's not about you know, this expectation, again, that a lot of leaders put on themselves and managers put on themselves about, I've got to, if I ask someone how they're going to feel or how they're feeling, mm-hmm. then I want to be able to solve whatever problems they are. It's not about that. The research was showing it's just about feeling emotionally supported. So someone being willing to ask and to listen and to join mm-hmm. you in that space and just to show they've got your back. And it's and it's just that everything you've just been talking about, like sh- real kind of respect the genuine connection the mm. empathy that relationship that trust that's the bit that mm. if anyone wants to f- invest time in that and develop that they can do that it's not about mm-hmm. specialist knowledge and expertise yeah. and the results of that so for any <clears throat> because at the end of the day leaders are in business and so you have a very healthy team but if you're not in profit or the business isn't thriving then you know, so keeping it in the context of um, coming from that, from both points of view of, of knowing what it feels like to be an overwhelmed leader, an overwhelmed MD, to the point of, if I think if I'd stayed in that role, I would have definitely, definitely become burnt out. I was on that road, um, <clears throat> but also looking after my staff. And I got criticised once um, by someone senior to me who said, you, and I wasn't a parent, said, you can't be a mother to everyone. You know, your office door should be shut and they shouldn't have access to you. Um, 
And that really stayed with me because it was that sense of if my team are not happy, my team are not being seen and heard and valued, then actually they will leave. And as a business, we then have to recruit new talent. We then have to have resources to train people up. Mm. Our productivity goes down. And so that, I think, is what trying to change that narrative, particularly in leaders that I coach who say, I don't have time. Well, bringing it back to your business, actually, you do have time. Um, And I read a report this morning, so it was... um, it was done by the Oxford University um, said business school. And they said that there was 13% more productivity from happy staff. <clears throat> you tell me a leader that doesn't want 13% more productivity and happy staff. Well, mm. that's a win-win, isn't it? It's a Absolutely. And if you, you, know, if you ignore that and you keep your office door shut and you're adding mm. to your list of overwhelmed the rest yeah. of the yeah exactly it, yeah yeah and, and and it really is so for anyone that is running a business it is that win-win situation of I know one of the biggest things for me was almost that panic of if someone said they wanted to see me please don't hand your notice and please don't <laughs> <laughs> because that just added something you know it took away a resource a support mm. that mm. I needed as their leader but also it put a huge job back on my desk of, you know, and, I, and I, I made sure that I employed people who I respected and I wanted in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to leave. I wanted to build a team. I wanted to build relationships of people that stuck around and wanted to produce results as well. But your open door thing, I think, is a really good point because I see so many people who say, yeah, I've told my team my door's open. They can come in. Mm-hmm anytime they want to chat to me and then I'll ask you know it's like great so how often have you told them that mm. well I told them kind of at the team meeting you know a couple of months ago it's like well mentioning something once doesn't cut it it's, it's you can make the invitation and say you know come in and see me but that's got to be a very regular it's got to be yeah. a consistent you've mentioned the word consistency today mm. it's got to be a very consistent message you know pop in or if someone you then realize someone is struggling to challenge them say why didn't you just pop in you know Mm. you pop in is that constant role modeling isn't it just to let people know that it's a genuine offer it's not just paying lip service to something and I know Mm. some people will just tick it off it's almost like well I've I've announced that my door's open Mm -hmm. that's done or it's that sense of uh if I really encourage people to come in that's going to potentially I'm going to lose a couple of hours today talking to people and yeah. I'm not going to get my job done yeah like, but if you're in that role that is your job yeah. and just remaining blissfully blissfully unaware of what's going on for people so it just stays under the surface that stuff's still there you're yes. just not seeing it you're just not, not hearing about it and then you just deal with the fallout from it so yes. again it's just about helping people I think question what their role is and be clear have that clarity around what mm. they're role is what it should be what their understanding is but also what you know going and asking a team what do they want of you yes. in order for them to to feel and be able to perform at their best and it's what I mean I, I would talk it's a whole different podcast but I would talk about values forever um because values are are so so for me they're a superpower they've made some very 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 difficult decisions easy leaving a job um where 
an entire career and salary behind um but with a values driven decision and you talked about role modeling there and if you're truly connected to your values as a leader then you're living those values and, mm. and and that's something I ask my clients every day what behaviors mm. are role modeling your values you know where are your values that where are you where are you exhibiting in them as a leader are you showing your values and so therefore if you are asking and if you're saying my value my values are that of family but you go home at 10 o'clock every night and you don't see your family what are your behaviors saying about your values how important are they to you and similarly with you running your teams um it's a, if, if you can have that connection and you can role model your values that connection to your teams and to your colleagues and to your clients i think that just that connection <clears throat> is stronger it's mm. you you have that consistency of your known and and when you were just saying you know repeating that question you almost don't have to repeat it if you're living that value yeah. if you're saying that if my daughter is it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why the coaching model is so powerful for leaders, that active listening, um, that making time. And actually, if you ask the question, allowing someone to be seen and heard and valued and give an honest answer. And as you so, say, not so, thinking, oh, no, that's two hours out of my day. Yeah, exactly. Um, so active listening. What do we mean by active listening? What does that really look like and feel like because again I hear so many people go yeah I'm an active listener mm. and then as they're listening to me I'm thinking mm, not seeing mm. it <laughs> yeah I think it's that it's getting comfortable with the uncomfortable spaces it's not filling in all of the gaps um so asking someone a question and asking it again um and it's really seeing the person as a whole um looking at their body language, looking at their face, looking if it's rapport. And actually, for them to say something unexpected, um, it's about being really curious. If you ask a question, make no judgment on the answer. Oh, that surprises me about you. You don't even need to respond because it's always going to be that. And what else? And what else do you want to tell me? It's almost being an empty vessel, isn't it? And having no response left apart from, I hear you. I mm. hear that that's important to you. You will naturally get to a stage where someone may ask, someone may start to tell, but active listening is purely that it's listening. It's not telling, it's asking mm. the question and really listening for the answer. And when you're on the end of that, because people want to problem solve want to say mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I can do for you Lisa I can and it's a bit no I, I didn't want to, I didn't want you to mm-hmm. ask I've probably got the one thing I notice of all of my clients is they have the answers they always have the answers I don't give them the answers mm-hmm. I ask the questions to get them to where they want it's their map of the world mm-hmm. but asking the questions and asking the right questions and allowing them to work it out um and just not providing you know the the finishing someone's sentence almost like that whole you know when you see a class and they're all holding their hands up and they've stopped listening to the teacher because all they can think about is what they're going to be saying next Mm. don't need to think about what you're saying next you're still in listening mode 
Yeah, and it's that sense of when someone's speaking, your brain will naturally start pattern matching back to, you know, you mm-hmm. say something about, I don't know, being stressed, and then my brain will go, oh, gosh, yeah, I feel stressed. And mm. I, then I kind of attribute my model of stress yep. onto you. It's like, well, you know, your heart must be racing then because mine mm-hmm. does, and it's that yeah. actually you're not then really listening. I often um, uh, think it's quite useful as well just to clarify with people sometimes what it is they want from that conversation so is it is it a space that you know do they want just to have an opportunity to just to offload they don't want to hear anything back they just want a space where they yes. can just offload and just be heard um sometimes it'll be well actually I've got this problem and I need to come up with a solution I need to mm. fix the problem but actually again having that clarity around you know are we looking at problem solving which might be if you know if you're a good coach about helping that individual come up with their own solutions or you might be kind of working as a team together and and problem solving but being very clear about that's the intention of that conversation Mm. I think sometimes it's something that intuitive people can just work actually going along what is going to you know what's needed to end or to get to the end point of that conversation Mm. other people need much more guidance and they say actually I just want to know what is it what is it you want from me do you mm. want me to listen or do you want me to try and help solve it um but even if you're helping solve it it's about I want to solve it where we're both doing this together rather than you're trying to come up with a fix for my problem yeah. because actually you're then focused on your fix and you're not listening yes. to what I'm what I'm thinking and that might be <clears throat> referencing back when we're talking about the goals and the next step um, bringing the strands of this conversation together when you ask them I see enough change that first conversation might not be enough and actually it, it generally isn't enough um, if I sit with a new client um, and there's so much in that first session um, but sometimes that's just an offload it's the second or the third session but it's actually there's this thing that keeps coming up for me that I want to talk about mm-hmm. but because we've built some rapport and we've built some trust and we've peeled away a few of the layers. Mm. Um, so it's that consistency. And sometimes people don't know. They don't know why they're overwhelmed. They don't know what they want. And so it's not necessarily an offload. It's a, we're going to be holding this space. And actually, you don't have to know today. That can be for tomorrow or next week. But for today, we're starting the conversation. We're starting the process you get some space um and I think that's really really important but it takes investment so it goes back to your whole point doesn't it of I think putting the work in now Mm. the results come and I think it's it's interesting isn't it because some again some conversations I have with people are I'm not very good at this empathy stuff I'm not very good at listening and I'm you know this isn't my strength and Mm. um some people it comes much easier than others but there's always the ability to develop if you if it's something you're really interested in being able to create that safe space with people to be able to hear them to be able to show empathy and mm. so on if if people are if people want to be able to get better want to get better at that then there's always a way that they can work on those skills um I was talking with uh, for international women today Dr Sean Andrews uh, on this podcast and she was talking about empathy for example and around how uh, 
is something that women might find easier it's one of their superpowers but that doesn't mean that men aren't good at it and and, the, mm. and people who are not so great at empathy can there's a lot that they can do to develop that as a skill so again I think it's always that scope of development and growth and if it's something you you are you do value and you think it's worth investing in mm. then as a person in that in that role of having a coaching conversation you can still fine-tune your skills yeah and everyone and I think that's the most important thing because it's that not knowing and that goes both sides so not having all the answers um and you can be a very very different leader um you can be that leader with a great level of expertise in a particular area and so that may you may not be the most empathetic but you may be able to bring a different skill on and, and it comes back to connection doesn't it it comes mm. back to rapport that if someone doesn't know what what it's what can you control what can you change are you going to leave leave the job or is that person still going to be your leader so mm. where do, where do you connect on what level do you connect mm. and that word we keep coming back to about being in relationship of mm. opposites attract you can have oh I wouldn't have put that person with that but you know people find their connection and they find the jigsaw the missing pieces so yeah you, you can learn those skills um but they can look different for different leaders yeah so what I'm just conscious of um time and what I really want to do is spend a little bit of time looking at some really practical ideas for how we can create more space so mm. thinking going back kind of full circle to how we started this conversation which is around just feeling incredibly busy multitasking a sense of overwhelm it's like I've got too much to do so how can you know because we, we've talked about stripping back and mm. um and how do we create more space in our day-to-day either for ourselves or with our teams around us what I'd love to hear some of your ideas about kind of practical things to to go away and think about um well I mean there's one thing I would say which actually isn't an actual suggestion or task it's that whole I talked earlier on about looking for evidence so when you start to changes as we all know people don't like change people find change difficult comfort zones are there for a reason because they feel comfortable even if they restrict us mm. so it's looking for evidence actually of today it was really difficult but I closed my email at five o'clock and guess what everything was okay I didn't get it all done I didn't have every conversation. So before we get onto some really practical things, looking for the evidence that when you change behavior and your role modeling, that actually you still have a job, you're still a leader, <laughs> everything's okay, nothing drastic happened. Mm. And it's that permission changing. So sometimes it's those small intentional, I am going to finish at four o'clock mm. and have tea with 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 the team today that's Mm. what we're going to do we're going to invest once a month and Mm. actually after those six months saying well we've done that for four months and guess what figures didn't drop off so looking for evidence that when you start to change actually because overwhelm will tell you you can't do that you mean you must work till eight o'clock and get as much done as you work until you're burnt out work until you're exhausted it's the only way and, um, and and communicating that intention mm. so looking for the evidence but it's also saying actually 
we are going to, you know, whether you're stopping at four o'clock to yeah. the team, whatever, mm. communicating that with your team and saying, look, we're yeah. going to, this actually is something I'm going to prioritize. I'm prioritizing mm. this because it's important for me in terms of how I'm feeling and showing up every day. It's important for us collectively as a team. Mm. So we are going to put some of these boundaries in place and we're going to create a bit more space. And, um, you know, whether it's going, we're going to have time in our meetings um where we don't fill it with agenda items we're going to have yeah. space to say right what's front of mind today mm-hmm. or this week um you know having time in our diaries where you, you whether you call it downtime or whether you mm. whether you call it a lunch break you know a novel yeah. idea but just having something where you, you're you commit to other people they can help yeah. hold you accountable but it also means for yourself you're you're because you voiced it so actually, this is really important. Mm. Um, and this is something I'm going to, to do something about. And, and obviously, then you've got your colleagues checking in with you. And yeah. if, I'm, if I'm saying, uh, you know, if in me and my role, if I'm saying to people, I don't work um, evenings, and then I sent an email to someone in the evening, yeah. or put someone linked here, and then I'll have someone saying, hang on, well, you don't work evenings. Why mm. are you doing that? And questioning and feeding back to me. Yeah. And, it's like, and just those little reminders can be really powerful, can't they? Yeah, that feedback so important um, because there isn't there isn't one size fits all. I don't run programs that fits that fit every client. You have to work with who's in front of you, and so I'd encourage every leader to do that to work with who's in front of them. But those ten minute, twenty minute, whatever time you want to put on that, whatever it is that you want to change, if it is my self care, I need to get out for my lunch break. I need to go and walk around the block. I need to get away from the screen. I need to go and walk out and see the staff. Starting with 10 minutes a day, building the habits and, and making sure that it's intentional daily habits. Um, because what we're trying to do is really stack those habits on top. If it's the case of, okay, ev- we're finishing at lunchtime every Friday, that might not be realistic in your world. But I see this so many times and clients will say, 10 minutes won't make a difference. Try it. Try what you can do in 10 minutes mm. and then flip that to 10 minutes twice a day and then 30 minutes. If I said to you, Silly, you've got 30 minutes to go and do some self-care, it mm. would be, wow, I didn't have that today. It's mm. a gift. Mm. I hear so many times where people have had a cancellation and people are now starting mm. to come back and say, doesn't matter, you've given me some time. Yes. Some time to do something. Yeah. We're also time poor. It's also reframing. Again, I hear so many times people saying, I don't have time to do that. My answer to that is every single we all have exactly the same amount of time. Mm. Like no one has more time. We always we all have 24 hours in the day, but it's how we choose to use it. Mm. So it's again taking back the power mm. and actually saying, what do I have time for? What's important? Mm. And that question again, if what happens if I don't do this? What happens if I don't make that 10 minutes mm. to have the conversation? Um, and that can feel quite challenging initially. It really can. Um, but it's just creating those patterns again, establishing those patterns. Um, and it's the constant communication with your teams and showing up and role modeling Um you are the leader um and with that comes some great perks um but it's going to be a two-way street isn't it so it's really role modeling and taking the time 
we've all got 10 minutes. We all have 10 minutes. Um, so what would be your your top recommendations now for people listening to this to take from this conversation to start uh, putting to practice to reduce that sense of overwhelm, either for themselves or for their teams? I would probably, top tip, keep it simple really keep it simple I don't think and, and my coaching is really really grounded and keep it simple where I'm seeing people with really poor life work balance self-care is poor um, and overwhelm is huge so keep it simple because if it feels too scary if it's the fear so what can you change what's the one thing you can change but keep on doing that one thing so however you reframe that whether it's keep it simple what's the first step and then the next step and then the next step keep the momentum going with the simple changes with the one step after another I'd say get curious really get curious and be creative I say so many times to my clients go and have some fun Mm -hmm. just be different with your team do something still within the work context but Allow people to have that creativity, allow people to have that fun. Um, And I think we've spoken before about one of my favorite coaching models within a work environment is the Disney model, Mm. um, where I I know you're familiar with it, but Disney would have these three rooms and you were only allowed to role play. And the first one would be the dreamer. So if I could grant you any wish, and this can be done in 30 minutes with your teams, what's the dream? How would we really solve this problem? What would we do? Then take it into the critic room. So really, let's let's criticize this. Let's really, really work on how could is that idea we've just dreamt up? And then the realist room and allow people to have some fun and play around a little bit. But it's a really, really simple procedure, um, a really simple model. I think another Another thing that I try with clients, which is a a really lovely idea, is let them be the boss for an hour. Let them chair a meeting. You know, I used to do that quite often with our teams of just saying, next week you're going to chair this meeting. So it's the MD's meeting, but I want you to go away and prepare. And there's nothing like empathy and sitting in someone else's shoes of, Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit in your chair and you're going to sit in mine and you're going to chair this meeting. And feel it really feel Mm. you know the kinesthetics of what it's like to go through that um so that's that's always a a good fun one to do as well and that's what I mean about that be creative so yeah keep it simple um what's the next best step and the next one and have a bit of fun um because overwhelm isn't fun (laughs) it's not at all (laughs) um Carla that has been brilliant I have just loved um Kind of, we could chat forever <laughs> we could chat forever but actually I think I think you know, there's so many good examples of specific coaching type questions to use and just how to think about this differently in, in a sort of more practical way you know to help people think about actually this is how I can reduce overwhelm for myself or for my team around me and and I think the thing that comes through from this conversation is that actually it's not really complicated it is simple mm. and it's just having the intention and thinking okay where where do I where am I going from here what is it I want to to do to achieve and I would urge people who have listened to this to actually go back and listen again now with a 
pad and a pen and write down some of the questions that really resonate or some of the ideas that it's like oh yeah actually I'm going to go and try this or and it's just taking some of those simple ideas and, and thinking out okay how could that um how could I incorporate that into my practice how could I tweak my day-to-day experience so that it feels more fulfilling for me and for those around me um so thank you so much my final question to you is from uh, Sean Andrews who I mentioned earlier um she gave me a blind question to ask I guess and I, okay. I might as well ask you seeing as I've mentioned her um okay. what's the one thing in your life that you are most proud of wow um I think my values and a real connection with my values and my top value being my family so I have two boys and a husband and um it goes back to that whole world of what's non-negotiable for me and so I still do if I get offered a glittery gold job and I think oh that might be nice and then I come back to my values and say what would that take away from my life so um yeah my values and my 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 top core values thank you Carla thank you so much for today um I look forward to speaking to you again very soon yes definitely take care take care Thank you for joining me on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. I hope it's got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to company culture that enables people to really engage and thrive. And now it's your turn to help me, please. Rating my podcast and leaving a review means that my guests' messages spread further. And when I know what you've enjoyed, found helpful, what you'd like to hear discussed more of in the future and ideas for great guests, I can make sure I deliver. Let's continue the conversation about the points raised in this podcast, or perhaps you have other questions about employee experience and performance. You can email me at it's time for change, connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are all in the show notes. So until next time, bye for now.